Ian. Dave. We have a guest on the show, Ian. It's not just you and I tonight. I know. Another person has been lured in. Yes. Uh, Steve Edwards has joined us. Thank you for coming on. Howdy. Thank you. So Steve Steve came to us by way of our mutual friend, David Obachowski. All right. Um, and so... Steve, you edit and manage the blog at overland.com, overland.com. I'm just taking Overlander. over. Overlander. Yeah. Overlander.com. Yeah, okay. Right. Thank you. Yeah. You're a freelance automotive writer. You recently secured a job in Denver, but there's like a whole bunch more to the story, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we want to hear it all tonight. Like, let's do it. If you feel like um, at any point you want to swipe your credit card for a therapy copay, you're welcome to do that. Sounds great. Take any tangent you want. <laughs> let's let's get into it. Yeah. So how do awesome. you know David? How how did you meet David? That that in and of itself is a pretty interesting story. So uh, I think this is a a realm that you guys are uh, familiar with. There's a little corner of Twitter um, that we affectionately call Weird Car Twitter. Absolutely. Um, and you know it's this uh it's this group of people who just spend their time you know maybe most of their day like i do um looking at strange cars and um making jokes about weird cars all over uh the internet um but sometimes things get a little more serious i think uh and this is kind of how i intersected with david so i knew david just as a a twitter acquaintance and you know, we kind of message back and forth here and there. Um, but there was a period earlier this year, kind of earlier this summer, um, when I was, you know, doing weird car Twitter things, I was posting a bunch of links to like interesting cars are for sale on my local Craigslist. Um, okay. My local Craigslist being Northwestern Montana. So I live in Missoula, Montana. Okay. Um, and uh, one of those cars happened to be a 1989 Peugeot 405 MI16, which is a rare car in and of itself. But that particular model, the MI16, is sort of the hot rod Peugeot. <laughs> right. right. Um, very like classic late 80s, early 90s kind of sedan. Um, and it was about a, located about 100 miles north of me, just kind of in this little town in the middle of nowhere in Montana. Um, so and it was bizarre. in perfect shape, just beautiful, beautiful car. So David had sort of responded to my Twitter post and said, wow, look at that Peugeot. Like that's basically said that's my dream car. And it being weird car Twitter, you don't question that stuff right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right you, know, you know we're all we're all a little weird right and so um <laughs> you know you know question people's taste right um so i said well you know i'll go look at it for you if you want um i'd be happy to check it out you know just kind of thinking like well you know whatever like he's not gonna say yes and so he messaged me dm me and said yes like <laughs> would you mind would you would you mind like actually looking at this car for me and so i said well yeah, let's do it. So, um, yeah, I hopped in my Land Rover and I drove 100 miles north <laughs> here. And um, yeah, and I I went to this house in the middle of the woods on this lake, like in the middle of nowhere. Um, and there was this little white Peugeot sitting there. And uh, yeah, I, I met this guy. He's really nice. Um, had a whole bunch of other like interesting cars in his garage. And um, yeah, he's just kind of looking to thin the herd a little bit. And so oh. 
I test drove the car. I looked it over. Um, I called David and said, Hey, I, I think this is a great car. Like if this is really, you know, the pinnacle of your automotive experience, I don't think you're going to find a better one, <laughs> you know? Okay. And, uh, he went back and forth with the owner and they negotiated a price and he was a little touch and go. Cause David had to sell his old car, um, right. his old alpha so, alpha. Yeah. His old alpha. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So another weird car yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, but you know, the, all the sort of interactions and transactions managed to work. And then, uh, so, uh, when the, you know, the money changed hands, the owner brought the car down to Missoula and left it with me. Um, okay. and so I had the car for a couple days and David and I made this sort of wild ass plan. Um, we, he was like, look, uh, let's, uh, let's make like, an adventure out of this. And so he said, I'm going to fly to Montana and we're going to meet and then we're going to drive the car together back to Colorado. And then, uh, we'll fly you back home. So, um, you know, little, little American road trip across the West. Right. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, obviously I'd never met this guy before. Um, <laughs> he'd, he'd never met me. He sort of trusted my judgment. Um, you know, I don't know anything about French cars. I mean, I know quite a bit about cars, but. but um, and, well, you guys got really yeah. lucky in that the stretch from Missoula, Montana down to Denver is known for just having uh, Peugeot mechanics just <laughs> oh, yeah. like every 20 miles. Like you're going to be yeah. services, parts, just <laughs> on the side of the road, wherever you need. They're on trees. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so here I have this, you know, 30 year old French car. Um, and, uh, I, I, I brought it to a friend of mine who's a sort of foreign car mechanic and we kind of looked it over, you know, very sort of, you know, kind of a basic level, you know, will it make it to Colorado? Like, will it go a thousand miles? And the answer was yes. So, um, yeah, I hopped in the car and I drove to Bozeman where I picked up David at the airport and then we took two days to drive down to Denver. Um, That's so and I cool. stayed with this wonderful family for, uh, for a night. And then I flew back home to Montana. So it's kind of this whirlwind, um, experience. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like along the way, you know, when you spend 10 hours, 12 hours in a car with somebody, um, you know, you get a chance to know them, right? Like you have those kinds of particular conversations that, you don't have anywhere else, right? <laughs> Besides in a car right. on a road trip, right? Those, um, oh shit, we're out of things to talk about conversations. <laughs> yeah, right. Or, or even not, you know, we were, we're like age mates, right? We're like almost exactly the same age and right. we have a lot in common. We just like a lot, you know, he grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in Wyoming. Um, like, you know, we both had these different life experiences, but we're also like very similar in a lot of ways. And, you know, you just never know when you're going to make that connection. Um, and, it's like yeah, the you know, early gotta... stages of a relationship, right? Like where you just want to yeah, talk right. to them about everything. Right. And it's all good to hear and it's all good to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really cool. So yeah, it's, it was like one of the best things I did this year. You know, I think especially after all the like whatever, 18 months of, you know, social isolation and lack of adventure. And, um, right. You know, uh, to like whatever say screw it like i'm gonna take a flyer on this like who, who knows he might be a serial killer i don't know i, I might be right and uh, like we don't know and um you know it it really yeah it was fantastic um That's yeah so cool. like i said it's like one of the best things i did this year it's fantastic i'm still blown away by 
because I would have thought that the Venn diagram overlap of like French car weirdo and remote Montana weirdo would there would be no intersection there whatsoever. Um, the the randomness of finding a clean Peugeot mm. four hundred five that yeah. far afield like that's so crazy. Yeah. Did he have second a- owner? Second really? owner. Yeah. Huh. Um, all these like service records from when it was new. Um, a bunch of parts in the trunk too. Bunch of parts in the trunk. Uh, that was a good side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and just in immaculate condition. Like, you open the door and it just, like, it smelled new. The leather is like perfect. The it's carpets have this nice deep shape. pile. It's like, oh yeah, Dave, you've seen it, right? Yeah. Um, you've seen many parts of it actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a beautiful car. I mean, uh, and like, uh, it was like the minute I opened the door, you know, when I got there, I was like, oh yeah. Dave's going to buy this car. Dave is going to buy this car. Did you get any more from on the story of the guy who had it? Cause that seems mm-hmm. like, yeah. Um, so he had a friend who also kind of lives in Northwest Montana. Um, who's just like a, a car collector, basically, you know, he's got like 20 cars, huge garage, tons of different cars, and this guy actually, um, the original owner has two Peugeot 405 MI16s or had, um, he had the white one and he had, and he still has a red one. Um, wow. and, uh, he bought the white one brand new in Portland, Oregon, in, you know, 1990, uh, at the very end of like Peugeot in the United States. Right. I mean, that was like yeah. the end, the last yeah, gasp, right. right? Um, clearing out the inventory. So, Exactly. So the guy that David bought it from bought it from his friend. Um, and, you know, I think when I went to go see it, it had, I think less, still less than a hundred thousand miles on it. Um, wow. But, you know, it had been like meticulously maintained uh, throughout that time. Um, and, you know, the guy that David bought it from also had a whole bunch of cars. He had like RX sevens and Beatles and a Chevy C10 pickup and like all these kind of interesting cars. Uh, and, yeah, you know, and I think one of the things that the seller told me was that he had a promise from his friend that if he was ever going to sell the red 405, that he would be the guy that he would, you know, would buy it. <laughs> so he didn't feel too bad about letting the white one go, gotcha. knowing that there's another, you know, 1989 yeah. <laughs> 405 MI16 hanging around. Um so yeah, you never know where these things take you, right? Uh, you know, the, where, where you meet these like automotive enthusiasts with you know right. interesting or questionable tastes, however you want to interpret it. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I think know. some of the, the like the through lines of weird car Twitter, like some of the recurring themes that like I kind of keep seeing popping up, and I'm, we're very thankful to be part of weird car Twitter, <clears throat> is that like favors for other people right just mm. I- incredible niceness charity hospi- hospitality like um and just like fast friends like all like mm. crazy adventures like all of these things like everything that like victoria scott's been going going through mm. and doing like all of this like great stuff that like makes up the fabric of weird twitter as being like solid people and like really fun cars and experiences and stuff like that it, it's amazing to see yeah and i think also just like an uh 
an openness too, right? And like yeah. lack of judgment and just like thinking, hey, you know, we're all a community in, you know, in different colors and stripes, but, um, you know, we're all kind of have the same, <laughs> the same, you know, whatever. Same like, set of problems. Short, short <laughs> circuit in our brains, right? Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, you know, and yeah, like like Victoria Scott, and then I mean, you guys have have had Steph Schrader on the show. Oh um, yeah, you know, like so. I don't know. A few years ago, I was at a used bookstore in Missoula, and I ran across a, a VW four eleven Haynes manual, just like in the used bookstore, and I was no like, way. oh, you know, you know who needs this? Steph. So like, I got on Twitter, and I was like, hey, I found this manual. Do you want it? And so I just mailed it to her. Right? It was like three dollars at the used bookstore. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the crazy adventure David and I had isn't the only time I've had a chance to, you know, connect materially with other, yeah. other people in that realm. So, and then here we are, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so I, I, oh, I want to interrupt, I wanna interrupt yeah. really quick because I did something happened to me today in the real world in like meat space that, uh, that I now know was a harbinger for for this like a good it was a good omen that we were going to have a good weird car twitter conversation i looked up from uh breakfast this morning to see three young men pushing a broken sob down my street (laughs) (laughs) and just with just like the the most dejected look on their face that i've ever seen and they were making really good prog i would have helped them but they were already like they were going faster than i think it probably would if it was running like they ran out first <laughs> year <hilarious>. yeah. <laughs> right yeah yeah well and then you know there's also just like you know so dave so dave like uh one of my favorite cars in my past is a 1997 saab 900 se turbo coupe you know yep. so like my first and you saab. had the exact same car right yeah, yeah. mine was um, the five door yeah but yeah oh you had the five door okay yeah. dusty so, rusty is anyway. what i called it yeah yeah mm, yeah mm. yeah you R. also R. had a three door too yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I've had three sobs. I've had two three doors and, and a five door. Yeah. One one right. never ran. Right. One ran like Ian drove Dusty Rusty. He drove the Vigan too. But yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. They're they're fantastic. So so like yeah. so, so we have a shared sob history, right? Exactly, right? Also, I for anybody that's only listening to the audio, I would like to call it the fact that you have an open hood of a car literally right behind you right now. Oh, yeah. So I can, I can do this. Um, I'm actually, I'm replacing the valve seals on my CRV. Um, okay. Yeah. Which is my, and then I have a, um, I have an M10 four-cylinder out of a BMW 2002 sitting on a, Oh, awesome. stand there. Wow. Um, okay. So, yeah. I <laughs> uh, got my got my projects going here. So so um, like what was what was your entry into like turning wrenches, like cars, like give me like what was your car puberty? Like Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Um I think I think like for a lot of people, uh, my sort of entry into the car world is through a Volkswagen Beetle. Um, okay. And, you know, my parents had Beetles um, for many years. Uh, my dad commuted in one for many years. And uh, I still own one of the family Beetles. Uh, my grandfather bought it brand new in 1971. Um, what? It's, it's parked outside and it's still, still sitting there. Um and so that's kind of, that's been the through line for me. And obviously, you know, those are, they're cartoon cars, right? And they're super simple and they're overtly mechanical. And 
you know, I was just fascinated by them, you know, from a very, very, very early age. Um, and, you know, being what they were, I think, you know, my dad was always, you know, doing the maintenance, right? Like you're supposed right. to do with, you know, older cars, because that's what, that's how they run, right? And um, so he was always changing the oil and studying the valves and, you know, doing all that stuff, right? And so there was just a lot of like osmosis there. And, um, you know, and I think I just, whatever, I, I think it's that very common thing that happens where, you know, I got a million Hot Wheels and, you know, like, I had, you know, couldn't wait to drive, right? Like, you know, right. I'd sit in the garage, you know, and like move the gear shifter around and, uh, and yeah. And then, you know, the, you know, the Beatles, my first car. And, and again, it was, but, you know, it was very specific in terms of, you know, my family saying like, look, if you're going to drive this thing, you have to, you know, maintain it. Right. And so sort of learning that stuff organically, um, you know, I think, it's only interestingly enough, I think it's only later in life that I really sort of came into maybe my more, maybe I don't know, mechanical talents. Um, you know, I, I came from a family. It was very much, you know, you go to college, right? Um, you're going to go get a degree. You're going to go get a job. You're going to, you know, do Make the, something. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I took a path, you know, through, college and into academia and went to grad school and stuff. And I was always like into cars. I was doing a lot, you know, I had all kinds of fun cars over the years, like GTI VR sixes and sobs and R 53 minis and, um, did a lot of autocross and, you know, like I was always like engaged. Right. But, um, it was always just a kind of a hobby, right. Or something on the side. And, um, it wasn't until later when I really started, I guess, to like lean into, you know, being a car person yeah <laughs> right um and you know now i guess i don't know whatever called a second act or whatever but you know at 43 years old i've you know completely shifted my entire you know being right um into you know uh, a life that's like full of automobiles um but in more meaningful ways maybe than it was in the past um so yeah I, you know, it's, I think it's a, the early arc is I think fairly typical, right. Um, you know, a mechanically inclined father, um, you know, mechanically simple cars around the house, <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, car and driver and road and track on the coffee table and, um, hot VWs and dune buggies, right. The, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the publication of record for, uh, air cooled Volkswagens. It, Right. So how does it change? How did that work then? <laughs> Five when you, decades. When, yeah. Right. When you're, um, <laughs> when your life sort of took you away from cars, like you said, you kind of stayed engaged with it and stuff like, you know, in, in academia, do, did the people that you were with in, in that part of your life, do they get what you're doing now? Or was it always like a weird thing that Steve does this stuff on the weekend or how does that, how did that work usually? Um, yeah, it was definitely uh, definitely a light I kept under a bushel for a, a, a long time. I think especially in an academic context, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I guess in most parts of that world, it's not something that, 
people understand, I think. Um, sure. You know, it's a very sort of, um, you know, it's not really ivory towers don't have garages, right? Um, <laughs> I guess maybe is what, is what we can say. And so, like, so, you know, a lot of it was, I've, you know, I was talking to my wife, Julie, about this a, a little while ago, but um, it was always something I was a little bit like, I don't know, afraid of or ashamed of, or, yeah. you know, just didn't talk very much about like in my professional context. Like, um, and I actually, I actually tried when I was in graduate school, I kind of half floated, uh, an idea for a research project where I would, um, and did part of my graduate work in anthropology. Um, I was curious about like car culture, right? Oh. Um, like how do people create community? How do people create relationships and, you know, create identity right through their through their vehicles or their cars and or their trucks or motorcycles or whatever um because these are these are real things right these are like real tangible whether it's like weird car twitter you know in a you know in a virtual space or whether it's you know the local you know whatever cars and coffee right where you're in a you know very like real tangible space like there's culture going on there right there's relationships there's community there's identity that's being built and i sort of tentatively floated this idea to one of my advisors like hey this is something i'd love to do maybe i could you know embed myself in a car club or like you know learn about you know whatever like fringe automotive culture maybe it's low riders maybe it's whatever air-cooled you know buses or whatever um and that was just sort of dismissed out of hand, right? Like it's not a serious topic, right? It's that's not a serious thing, right? Um, okay. Does that make sense? So yeah, does. well, yeah. And I, you know, right? I, I think all of us have been in those situations too, where you know we're like, well, let's maybe not talk about cars today, or what? You know, like where you, you kind of read the room and you're like, oh, okay, well, we're not going to bring that up here, right? But the the thing you were talking about with the with the anthropology angle is really interesting to me too, because like we've we're especially now where we're in this moment where we're kind of examining like how uh, like commuter culture, especially, and, you know, like building mm. of highways and stuff like that has like impacted um, communities and especially people of color and, and all that sort of stuff of, um, and then like, but the community, the the car culture part that you're talking about was sort of like a happy accident of all of that, right? Like mm. lowrider culture and donks and all that stuff mm. are those are those are car cultures that came out of the time and place where they existed and they were only there because of these other decisions that were made, whether yeah. they were made for bad reasons, but then this good thing kind of came out of it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then we had Chris Rosales on um, a few months ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, from, from the drive. And he, he had written a story about uh, this sort of this, this exact thing where yeah. kind of proving your point that this is important because mm -hmm. there was um, basically like a new condo went up across the street from where there was a, monthly or weekly lowrider oh, right. show mm -hmm. and it, it caused like a big thing in the community i remember this article like he was sort of focused on gentrification right and absolutely some yes. impacts on uh, yeah i do remember this article yeah. yeah yeah also i think that like the academia or maybe kind of like um upper crust perspective of cars and car culture is is not necessarily that culture aspect it's probably viewed as like another house like this is a status symbol it's another kind of physical property mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it's another acquisition 
right? And a thing that kind of shows your status versus like a thing from which culture is born or an expression of self or things like that, right? Like it's completely a different lens. And it's also too sort of this implication that, you know, if you're, if you have a focus on the automobile or focus on cars, like it, it, it's not part of sort of the life of the mind, right? right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something completely different and outside of that. And, um, you know, and not to say like, there's been some really amazing like academic work done about this stuff. There's, um, but you know, a lot of it is in the sort of, um, it's over in the business school, right? Not in the humanities, not necessarily in social sciences. Um, you know, but there's, but there has been some really good like academic work and, but it's probably untapped in a lot of ways, but you know, our modern life is filtered so much through the automobile, like in mm-hmm. so many different ways. And right. uh, yeah, I think, you know, I'm biased, but it's, <laughs> I think it's, there's a space, there's space for digging into that, you know? And um, I think, you know, like you're saying, like Chris does a really great job. Chris Rosales does a really great job about, you know, tapping into a lot of that. Um, Victoria Scott, right? Like I think she has a, an amazing sort of lens on, you know, how, how car, car, car culture is changing. Um, but also how it's kind of like weirdly staying the same. Um, and, you know, it's been, you know, her, her work is so confessional and, um, uh, sort of highly personal, but it, I think it's really useful for understanding like how we all fit in this big weird world. That's, you know, mediated through the automobile. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this is definitely our language. Like, ooh, this is a, a, an obsession of ours that we've had since we started the show of like, yeah. Trying to say that like car culture is culture. And also you can't separate, it also means you can't separate them, right? You have to, right. they exist within each other and you, you know, you can't take politics out of cars. You can't take culture out of cars. It's all wrapped up. We're all swimming in the same stew. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, And it's super interesting, right? Um, You know, uh, and it's, it's fun to think about. It's fun to talk about. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's important. Um, So I have, I have less compunction about talking openly about it. Right. Or saying, you know, very, you know, out loud, like, yeah, I, I yeah. work on cars. I write about cars, <laughs> you know, like every day. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's so. probably also just like a function of getting older, right. Of just like being, mm. you know, you're just more secure in who you are and, and all that sort of stuff. Cause I know like, you know, I'm an IT guy, but I, mm. I work around some like pretty intense IT people like mm-hmm. very, very intense IT people. And I am not that like, I, you know, I'm sort of ambivalent about computers in general. Um, when, but, when I first met Ian, he did not own a home computer and it blew like a, my mind. It yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. I was in between it's, computers. It's, oh, okay. Okay. I was like, but, um, <laughs> well, I had, I had a work, I had you had a work computer, but you you yeah. just yeah. torrented everything on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so I kind of have I would have that sort of same thing where I would tell people that I was going to race cars or I was fixing yeah. something in my car, and they would just look at me like I had like three heads. Like, what are you 
Right. What are you talking about? Right. Like, what's a track day? Like, what, yeah. what is that? Right. right. Yeah. I had an yeah. IT, IT director look at me and go, what do you know about cars? Like, <laughs> very, very old wing-a-dinga, you know, yeah. Yeah. Kind of right, guy, right, like right. C3 Corvette, Jeep Wrangler, lifted Jeep Wrangler yeah. kind of dude, right? But yeah. 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 Anyway, fuck Fantastic. I mean, so, well, you, know, you mentioned that, like, um, you know, regular cars, I think, is another factor for understanding, like, car culture, right? Like Brian does this incredible job of mm-hmm, yeah. uh, like tapping into that. I think especially a lot of that like Gen X, millennial, borderline kind of you know stuff, eighties um, and nineties cars, right? Um, which I think we all love. So yeah, that stuff is out there, and I, I think it has more of a voice now than it than it than it has in the past, and that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, should we should we play a game real quick? This seems like a good break in the in the conversation sure. yeah let's play a game and then i want to hear about a trip across africa yes I, yeah. yeah let's talk about it okay perfect okay um all right i'll i'll, I'll go uh so this is a game we play on the show called fmk cars it's based on the classic game of fuck mary kill except we play it with we play it with cars instead of people because we're not great right. um <laughs> and so <laughs> f, f means you're gonna drive it for a day uh, M means you marry it's your new daily driver. K means you kill it, it goes to the crusher. Okay. Okay. This is gonna come with a twist. So the title of this one yeah. is Oh my god, my Land Rover leaked oil into the same fountain as my RX7, and now I have sports cars with bad electrics and a truck with a leaky rear main seal. These are freaky Friday cars and lifestyles. Okay. So they're gonna leak oil into the same fountain and then they're freaky Fridaying. All right. All right. I love it. Ian writes great titles. All right. So the first one is a Mazda FD RX seven. I'm going to start sharing a browser so people can see what the, uh, what the cars look like. Okay. All right. So it's you, you get the Mazda, but you have the lifestyle and car maintenance of a, uh, of a classic Range Rover owner. So for every four hours you spend driving the car, you spend okay. at least one hour either fixing it or getting it fixed by somebody. Okay. All right. Next oh, one. Mm. <laughs> Lexus RX350. You have the lifestyle of a Harley rider. You're going to be a Harley dad. Uh, $40 t-shirts, classic rock blaring at all times, and you bring up Sturgis constantly. <laughs> All right. That's the second one. All right. The third one, last one, Ford Raptor. You've switched places with a Prius owner and are now a hyper miler character from Portlandia. You also have all the associated bumper stickers and everything. So I have uh, hyper miler bumper stickers on my Raptor? Yes. Yes. And I like, understand. Okay. Not like PETA. Not like, not, okay. Not like Raptor bumper stickers. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I see. So I pick I pick one vehicle that um, I drive for a day and never see again. One vehicle that, that ends up my daily. Yep. For the rest yep. of my life, and the other goes to the to the yard. Yes. Um, so, um, the, so I mean, the <laughs> FD RX Seven is like is like it's uh, it is like one of my so it's like one of my absolute like t- 
top five cars ever. Um, Happy to ruin it for you. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? Like, I basically do that every day with my defender like so i basically i daily drive my defender so like i'm used to this like uh yeah you know drive four hours wrench one hour so um i'm definitely uh gonna marry the the rx7 like okay without a doubt like like, you're like like i I was born at the parts counter (laughs) (laughs) right. right right uh you know i have a i have a driveway littered with cars that need constant attention so what's one more and then if i get to drive an rx7 all the time yeah right. that's right. that's okay an easy choice um i think uh i i <laughs> yeah this is interesting um i think you can either be a high a, a harley dad for a day in a lexus or you right. can be a prius right. Hypermiler and a Ford Raptor. Um, yeah, so I think I think I'm going to send the Lexus just you know to the crusher. Um, I just I can't I can't understand it. Um, I'm happy to like uh, uh, you know I, I feel like I understand the Raptor um, despite its many flaws. Um, so yeah, I, I could I'll I'll do the Raptor for a day and then send the Lexus packing nice yeah. no problem no problem i think you've, cho- I think you've chosen well <laughs> even though our, our resident lexus owner over here well to, <laughs> yeah i know to, I know. Com- to completely like to have your back How's on that? this one steve is that the the rx only makes sense in 450 form like that's it like that's the only thing that makes that car good when you have that sure. drivetrain in that crossover it actually becomes fun even like in eco mode like it's a good car but yeah any yeah. other instance or iteration of rx garbage yeah. right well you know, it just sort of fades right um into the background and, yes um yes right but how's the how's the abarth doing <laughs> speaking of <laughs> we're interviewing you steve <laughs> oh sorry 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 that's, that's no a I, podcast. I, I got the head back from the machine shop uh i'm yeah. gonna start working on it it's gonna start going back together and i just got a new turbo cool. for the abarth in the mail today so yeah Nice. Yeah, there we cool. go. All right. Yep. Just in time that's, for winter. Exactly. That's a, yeah, right. <laughs> that's a fun thing to get in the mail, though. Right. Um, yeah. Nothing like opening that box, right, and seeing a nice mm-hmm. new turbo sitting there and right? all yeah. its potential. My, yeah. po- my poor FedEx guy, he's had to carry, like, rock auto boxes full of brake rotors and, you know, exhaust manifolds and turbos and, like, just heavy shit to my doorstep. So, <laughs> yeah, I need yeah. to buy this guy, like, a like a big fruit basket or something for Christmas. I don't know what I need to do, but, yeah. yeah you know, leave it on the porch. Icy hot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, Tiger Bomb. Don't make it weird. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's hear about Africa. Yeah. You can include as much of the Toto song as you want. Go yeah. for it. Like, <laughs> you know what's cool? I mean, so um, a lot of this is going to rotate around. Um, our, like I mentioned, our Land Rover Defender. Um, it's a 1992 uh, two-door 110, so it's the van. Oh. Um, Let me reshare and show people what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, 
yeah, 200 TDI turbo diesel. Um, it uh, started life uh, as a probably a plumber's van or some kind of work vehicle in the UK. It, you said um, it was a 110. Yeah, it's a two door 110. So okay. usually you called the 110 van. Um, okay. So yeah, um, so we that that vehicle found its way to my wife julie and i when we were living in botswana um we lived there for a couple of years uh 2017 through 2019 um and this was sort of uh, like i think for both of us uh, for many people uh, i think living overseas marks like a big turning point in your life like it's sort of you know, changes, changes things. It's one thing to travel. It's another thing to like live somewhere, right? Totally out of context, totally different. Um, we, we first went to Southern Africa in 2015. Um, my wife, Julie's also, or was an academic. Um, she was, uh, she still is a librarian. Um, and she had a conference in Cape town, South Africa. And, you know, when we got word of the conference, we we're like, oh, you know, what we should do is let's make a vacation out of this. Like, let's both go, um, you know, if we're going to go like 10,000 miles across the world, let's go see some of Africa, right? Like, um, you know, it'd be dumb to go all the way to Cape Town and sit in a conference room for however long, right? So, so we planned about, I don't know, three weeks or so as a vacation. And, um, we wanted to do is go do all the African things. Like we wanted to go on safari and, you know, like see the elephants and do all that stuff. Right. And, but when we started like digging into the research, it just, it was impossible. Like it was so expensive and it was just, it seemed like inaccessible. Right. And, you know, we were, we weren't quite sure what to do. You know, it was like, well, we want to go, we want to see things, but we don't have the money to like spend, you know, two or $3,000 a day or whatever on them, you know, you know, a fully catered safari experience. Right. So, um, we, uh, again, sort of continue like to look around and, you know, see what was out there. And I kind of stumbled on this, um, this option where you could go and you could rent a, like a Toyota pickup truck with a rooftop tent on it and a fridge in the back. And, um, you could get sort of like a rough plan, like a rough travel plan. They would provide you with sort of a, a route and some campsites and um, you could do it yourself. So you could just like get in your, you know, Toyota Hilux and take off into the, you know, into the wilds of Botswana or Namibia or South Africa. So I came to Julie and I was like, look, <laughs> here's an option. Like here, here's a possibility. And um, I was like, you know, we don't know anything about these countries. We haven't been to any of these places. Um, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and Julie was like, "Yeah, let's let's do it. Like, let's let's do this." So, and, you know, hell yeah, we're backpackers. Like, you know, we've been you know sort of bouncing around Montana and Utah and stuff in our Jeep, and you know, we've been kind of you know exploring around with four by fours for a while. Um, but this is the first sort of, I guess quote unquote overland experience that we'd ever had. Right. And, um, so yeah, we flew to Windhoek, Namibia, picked up this truck and just like drove into the you know wilderness. Um, and you know, we had this little guide that the company made for us. Um, and we showed up at our first campsite 
Um, and in the middle of the night, uh, a giraffe came into our campsite. It was like eating the tree, like we had parked under. And that was just, that did it right. It was like, Whoa, like what is happening in, you know, what is happening exactly right now? And so and then we drove all over Namibia and Botswana. Um, we saw all the animals we wanted to see and we like, we just had this amazing experience. And, um, when we got home from that trip, Julie sat down and we sat down and she's like, we got to go back. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we have to go back. And like that week that we returned, she applied for a Fulbright fellowship. Um, the Fulbright fellowship is like an academic exchange program for um, you know, professional academics and students where scholars from the United States go to other countries and vice versa. Um, a, a scholars from other countries come to the U S and it's sponsored by the state department. Wow. Um, okay. And so, so she wrote a proposal, um, and some Fulbright scholars do research, some do teaching. Um, and she wrote a proposal to go to Botswana, the university of Botswana to teach future librarians, how to be librarians. Um, and she got accepted. So, uh, in, so that was, yeah, like a year later. So in 2017, we, um, packed up our lives and my cousin moved into our house in Montana and, um, yeah, we left for Botswana and, uh, we lived in the capital city, um, which is called Habarone and it's really close to the South African border. So Botswana is kind of, is a landlocked country and it's just North of South Africa. Um, it's about the size of Texas, but it only has about two and a half million people. So it's extremely sparsely populated. Um, and it's just covered with thousands and thousands and thousands of miles of dirt roads. Um, and these huge game reserves and national parks, um, with all these like amazing, you know, wildlife. And so every chance we had, we were out in our truck, like driving around and camping and exploring, you know, Botswana and South Africa, Namibia. Um, and our first truck was a, uh, 1999 Mitsubishi Pajero. Um, uh, I think the trim level was Exceed. That was the uh, that was the trim, <laughs> the Exceed. Um, and it was it was uh, uh, so yeah, like the um, yeah that guy, right? <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Okay. And it was a great truck. A, a Japanese import. So Botswana is full of Japanese imports. Um, they have very like loose like importation laws for vehicles so there's a lot of like really cool jdm stuff running around in botswana um like really cool stuff uh so this was the truck we bought it off another expat who was living there um and it was great for uh, about a year uh, until i blew up the head gaskets in the middle of nowhere um yeah that was a really fun. fun uh fun experience uh so after the after that problem um we we needed a new car uh but we were really looking to have like a bigger adventure like a bigger experience and we were i don't know kind of on the fence and we we got we got the pajero repaired and it was working but um we knew we were just kind of we were going to kind of ditch it right um and you know i had been kind of you know, I sort of mentioned like all the cool cars running around Botswana, but like I was just head over heels about like 70 series land cruisers. Right. And, you know, Land Rover Defenders, like one tens and nineties, just running all over the place. And, um, you know, they're all like, it's all part of that, like 
off-road sort of culture in that part of the world and um just loved them right and i was like yeah let's let's get a land cruiser like let's get let's get a land cruiser let's let's like find a cool like 70 series land cruiser let's let's uh let's like fit it out let's get the roof tent let's get the you know the whole nine yards and we kind of fits and starts and you know the problem with the toyotas right is they're you have toyota tax right they're just that much right. more expensive it's still um, in, even in 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 africa as well the toyota tax yeah. is a thing yeah well, just because they're completely um, bulletproof right oh yeah uh, exactly yeah yeah, yeah. high luxes land cruisers i mean um yeah they're just uh land rovers used to be the truck in africa i mean for years yeah. and for obvious reasons right um for years and years and years and years um all the militaries in these african countries had land rovers um you know it was just you know, that was the truck right but then you know starting in like the late 80s um toyota really started like making these inroads and um one of the one of the ways they did that was set up this massive like dealer and parts network all over the continent oh so wow. so a the trucks themselves are, you know, built for those conditions, right? They're overbuilt um, and they last forever. And they're generally pretty simple, especially the diesels, right? Um, and so w- once they started to like make those inroads in terms of selling those vehicles and then, you know, and then the UN started, you know, having Land Cruisers and Toyotas all over. And so, a lot of these international aid organizations are bringing in Toyotas and um, with the like parts and like dealer support all over the continent. Plus the fact that they just, you know, never die. Sure. Really started to like push the Land Rovers out of the, sure. you know, Land Rover, Land Rover kind of, you know, left Africa after a while, like as a company, um, you know, so just wasn't the support there, but um yeah, it's kind of an aside, but uh, yeah. Oh, so I was like, yeah. yeah, we need we need a Land Cruiser, right? And so we, yeah, we looked at a couple different options and went back and forth. And there was one day I was sitting at home in the apartment and I was messing around on um, uh, like an Overlanding Africa Facebook page, and I was scrolling down and I saw this Defender, this one ten. And it was this couple, this American couple, actually, who had been driving this Defender all around Africa. Um, and they were ending their trip. They had like a six-month trip. And they were ending their trip in Ethiopia. And they were looking to sell their Land Rover. And the price was like really good. So um, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And I was kind of looking at the photos and checking it out. And I was like, oh, I just made a mental note. I was like, I hadn't really thought about the Defender like in seriously other than i thought they were like really cool right so i was i, I was kind of doing other things i got this text from julie and she's like hey she's like did you see that defender on the overlander <laughs> on the like overland africa like facebook page i was like yeah i did she's like what do you think she's like is that is that an option like should we should we just buy that and i was like well i don't know so i you know i messaged the people and um they were like so they sent me a ton of photos and video and like you know we kind of went back and forth and um and, and yeah, uh, we arrived at a price. It was pretty reasonable. I forget what it was, $5,000 or something like that. It was very, not very much considering the value that, like OG 110s have now. Um, and we just made this, like, again, it's like wild ass plan. Um, like we're going to, 
We're going to get on an airplane. We're going to fly one way to a country we've never been to. We're going to meet strangers <laughs> from the internet. And we're going to buy a car. And we're going to drive it back from Ethiopia all the way to Botswana. Um, How did that work with getting a car out of the country and then into another country? Because I know that is fraught sometimes, right? Like, so, yeah, this is a little bit of a problem. Um, and so it turned out that this... this uh, this 110 had this interesting history. So it, like I said, it started its life in the UK as like a work van. And so this couple from the UK bought it and they drove it all the way from England to South Africa. So they drove the entire like length of the African continent plus Europe. Wow. Um, and then they, they sold the car to this American couple when they got to Cape town. Um, and then this, this other couple, they drove it from South Africa all the way to Ethiopia. Um, so this truck had already done like a lap and a half of Africa, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it looked the part, like it was pretty rough, but it was also like it had been well taken care of, right? So like mechanically, it was it was pretty sound. So, yeah, so we flew, we got on the airplane, we flew, we landed on Ababa, we got to the, like, hotel, and there it was, like, sitting in the hotel parking lot. Like, wow. <laughs> like, we are actually here. We're going to do this, I guess, right? We're going to get in this car and drive drive back to Botswana. Um, and it came with a roof tent. It came with a fridge. It came with, like, a water system with, like, a water tank and a filter and a, um, and a pump with, like, a faucet and the solar panel and a dual battery system and like all of the you know sort of basic like overlanding stuff that you need and uh i packed shock absorbers on my suitcase because they, they were kind of shot so i bought the shock absorbers <laughs> in botswana and i brought them with me like on the airplane to ethiopia um and that's like a moment know, where like the seller is like i wonder if he's serious about buying this thing and then you like pull out some shock absorbers <laughs> right 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 so we changed all the shocks in the in the parking lot uh the hotel is great um so ian your question is, is is a good one because one of the issues that we had so the the truck was still registered in the uk um so the uk has this like very loose sort of registration system mm-hmm. um if you can sort of show uh, like a, a mailing address in the UK, you can transfer the registration between like different people. So um, I put the word out again, like on Facebook, I was like, Hey, you know, any of our friends like in Britain, can we borrow your address so we can register this, <laughs> this truck, like in our name with your address. And so the, like a friend of a friend got a hold of us like, Oh yeah, no problem. Like um, have it sent here. So, we registered the car in our names in England. The registration paperwork came via DHL to Botswana and we took it with us to Ethiopia. So <laughs> we could actually say that like the car was ours, like it was registered in our name. Um, but the big problem was, is that we did the transfer of ownership. Um, uh, this couple who had driven the car, Ben and Diana f- into Ethiopia, they got the, the customs paper stamped at the border, right? In their name. Um, but now we had to drive the car out of right. Ethiopia, but with a totally different set of paperwork, right? right? Um, 
And so we were really, that was the like most like nerve wracking thing. Like when we got to the border with Kenya, it was like, what are they going to say when the stamping in paperwork has like a totally different name, different passport, like different everything, like then, than ours, right, on our way out of the country. Um, and it was, yeah, so that that was like that was like the big like paperwork challenge that we had, and that was the big worry. Um, there are two land borders between Ethiopia and Kenya. Um, there's only two. I mean, this is a huge border, right? These are two very yeah. large countries, and there's a huge border. There's only two ways to travel overland between those countries. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so the, the like road system just isn't very developed in that part of Africa, and so um, the main border crossing is the one that Ben and Diana had crossed um, on their way, and north. So they came from Kenya into Ethiopia, and when we were going to head back south, um, that border was closed. Um, it's called Moyale, I believe. Oh yeah, uh, that border was that border was closed. Yeah, right here. Um, yeah, uh, because uh, there was basically like a war going on. So there were a bunch of people shooting at each other. So that's the main like border crossing. Um, and uh, so it was it was shut like we couldn't leave. Right. So the other land border is to the west um, and it's called Omarate um, and it's way over with the um, border with uh, South Sudan and Kenya um huh. and it's like it is in the middle of nowhere it is absolutely um yeah you're you're coming into it. so that's lake turkana oh, um, yeah. in kenya yes right so there's a small it's not a road it's a track um and it crosses over like right where south sudan which is also like at that time was in the middle of a war yeah. in kenya <laughs> yeah it was like coming together so that was the only like possibility and you can see where you've zoomed it in here like the the road kind of stops yeah. at umarate yeah right um and south of there it's just it's basically tracks right um so uh yeah it's umarate and umarate has the customs and immigration office um so we showed up there and our immigration was fine right like we came into the airport, uh, you know, whatever. Stamp in, stamp out. That's fine. You're we the got same the customs people. paperwork, yeah. right? We got the customs paperwork, and it's a little there's a, it's a little squeaky, right? Um, and we'd already we'd already made the customs officer mad actually because when we pulled into town, there was a big gate across the village like entrance. And there was this guy just like in shorts and a t-shirt. He was like, Hey, um, you need to show me like your paperwork and your passport. And you have to like, give me your passport. I was like, you're just some dude on the side of the road. Like, I'm not giving you my passport. Right. Like I'm going to go to the like customs office. So can you like, can you let us through? So he was mad and like, we were mad. And like, so he, he lifts up the gate and we drive down to the customs office. Um, and then we're, there's nobody there. And we're like waiting and kind of sitting around and waiting. And so this guy comes walking down the road <laughs> and he's not, he doesn't have a uniform. He doesn't have anything. Right. And so, said, well, okay. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> didn't, didn't know, <laughs> you know? And, uh, so, you know, we, we actually, we kind of had a laugh about it afterwards. Like we kind of, it, it kind of became a joke, um, after the fact, uh, 
But so he started like looking at our customs paperwork and he's like, I don't know, this seems like really weird. Like you came in on an airplane. Like, how do you, how are you coming out with this vehicle? Like, and we're like, oh, well, the vehicle was um, already here. It was like in, like, it was here, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. And he's like, and he's kind of flipping through it. He's looking, and he's like, this is really strange. He's like, you know, who are these people? I'm like, well, you know, these are our, these are our friends from the UK. And um, like, I don't know, we were just, we're trying not to lie, right? But also just kind of hedging our, Right. our bets a little bit he's like look he's like i don't know he's like i gotta i gotta call the other border office he's like i, I don't understand like what's going on here he's like i gotta i gotta talk to my colleague over at moyale the big border post we're like oh man here here we go <laughs> we're really gonna be stuck so but he calls he's we calls the other border but it's closed right because people are shooting at each other there's no one there's nobody pick up the phone so phone rings and rings and rings and nobody answers and he's like well i'm gonna try i'm gonna try his cell phone so he tries his cell phone rings and rings and nothing so he's like all right well he's like all right well whatever he's like have a good trip he's like be careful he's like there's there, there's a lot of like it's like there's a lot of um there's a lot of like fighting going on down in kenya he's like you got to like be really careful so we're like okay <laughs> so yeah, I do love that. I do love that government workers are the same everywhere. <laughs> that you know, like you, you make it just hard enough to where it's yep. going to be a hassle, and then they're like, "What? I'm just gonna, gotta, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, and there's just and it's part of it is like this. It's it's all about your attitude too, right? When you yeah. show up in these contexts, right. it's like if you're going to be standoffish and angry and pissy and privileged. Like you're going to like they're going to make your life extremely difficult. They hold all the cards, right? But if you can be open and friendly and engaging and um, you know laugh about stuff, you're going to have a lot lot easier time, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, a lot of these guys and these women, they're a lot of them are posted in these like remote areas. They have, have nothing to do. Like it's mm-hmm. you know it's the end of the earth, uh, and you know you're the sort of, you know, fun for the day, right? Like there was yeah. nobody else. There was nobody else there except us, like it, you know, nobody. And so, um, you know, it, if you play the game, right? Like if you, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you stay like not stressed about it, then it can be really fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we drove, we drove out of Omarate through this like giant mud pit, into this tribal area um it was like we'd driven back to the neolithic um just like totally backwards in time um all these like tribal villages really like undeveloped um we're just like bouncing along on the savannah huge mountains in the in the distance in the west we go skirt past the the border with south sudan um and we come across this big log it's been like put in the middle of the road and these guys come up with these huge like machine guns and AK-47s. And um, again, they're not wearing uniforms. They're just like dudes, right? And, um, you know, same thing. Like, we don't know who they are. Like, maybe they're, maybe it's a paramilitary. Maybe it's like security forces. Maybe it's the police. Maybe it's guys with AK-47s. Like, you just don't know, right? right. Um, and this went on for like most of the day. We'd stop and have to stop and another group of dudes with guns would come out and you know they'd want to like know what we were doing there and like well 
we don't know either. <laughs> we're, just, <laughs> we're just driving through. Um, and yeah, and there's a weird thing too when you cross over from Ethiopia to Kenya in this part of the country, there's no customs or immigration on the Kenyan side. So you are driving like in this country, like as a, as a nobody because you haven't been stamped in your vehicle hasn't come through customs. You can't do that until you reach this large town. That's, I don't know, 250, 300 miles from the border. So for that, like stretch, you are all, all people can see is that you've stamped out of Ethiopia. Otherwise, you're, that's it. Yeah. Otherwise you're just in no man's land. You're um, hence, all those, that point. Yeah. hence all those checkpoints and stuff probably. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, that's probably part of that. Yeah. 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 Huh. Um, wow. And so, yeah, and, and that was, that was like the start of our trip, right? I mean, that was like the, <laughs> that was like the, you know, the, the, the kickoff. Um, and then the rest of it was just, you know, I think the cliche is that like, you know, you go to Africa, it like changes you, right. It sort of gets in your, you know, in your, in your, in your blood or in your bones. And, um, uh, but it does like, I, um, it's it's like no other place in the world like all these different countries are all so different they all have different you know uh landscapes and identities and people and culture and languages and um you know they're all like so unique and so different and and each one is like more interesting and awesome than than the other uh and so we we went through Ethiopia and Kenya and Uganda and Rwanda and Tanzania and Malawi and Zambia and Botswana um and, you know, it was just this amazing privilege to, to drive this old rickety Land Rover, <laughs> like, you know, uh, something, you know, out of just, you know, out of a dream in some ways, right? Uh, and just bumping along these two tracks in the middle of nowhere, this, you know, thrumming along with this old diesel and, um, and I, it was great. I think in a lot of ways, because, you know, we weren't in this, like, like I, I wouldn't have done it any other way after the fact, right? Like it wasn't air conditioned. Um, the doors were barely like hanging on, uh, you know, I was constantly having to like repair it and mm-hmm. maintain it, you know, like every other day. I'm know, guessing like, not really lion proof. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, the doors are like paper thin, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but it was like everywhere we went, everyone like loved it. Right. And, um, it just, you know, we weren't like isolated. You know, we weren't in a cocoon. Um, you know, we were sort of like, you know, it, we were really like, I guess as embedded as we could be in a lot of ways. Right. When you have this sort of older car, it looks really rough. Um, you know, it's not a 200 series land cruiser. It's not like, flashy it's not um you know obviously modern it's this you know glorified tractor right and (laughs) and i think it made it made the experience all that much better because it just felt i think for a lot of the communities we drove through a lot of places we went um it was sort of i don't know we were maybe more accessible right as visitors right partly because of the vehicle um because it was this old broken it's hard to be hard to be threatening when you're fixing something on the side yeah exactly right and um you know you know repairing stuff was like 
you know, the best way to meet people. Right, <laughs> right? You right. roll into these, you know, these remote villages or even the, even in large cities and like, oh man, I need, like, I need a wheel bearing. Like where, do, <laughs> where, like, where do I get a wheel bearing? Right. And, you know, someone's like, well, come with me. Right. Or, you know, you're going to yeah. stay with us tonight, you know, like while you, you know, repair this wheel bearing. And um, so, you know, had we gone through this, whatever, 10,000 kilometer trip, you know, with a Toyota, we never would have broken down and we never would have. <laughs> right. Know, right. Just like, blazed through. <laughs> right. Right. But, you know, in the end, the truck was a, was a rock in the end. I mean, really like there were little things that went wrong, stuff that we needed to address problems to, you know, troubleshoot, but it never blew up, you know, like the Mitsubishi, right? Like it started every day. It ran every day. Like, um, you know, yeah, we had, you know, we had to replace parts here and there. We broke a coil spring in Malawi, um, like at the top of a mountain. Um, and we had to drive down the mountain on a broken front coil, um, all the way to the capital. It's like 200 miles and we're all, you know, <laughs> lilting <laughs> alongside, right? Um, yeah. you know, and, and we get to the capital and it's, it's around Christmas time and everything's closed and, uh, you know, there's, there's no parts you know, or anything like you can't really, you know, you got to replace that. You can't, I mean, you can do things to get through, but you, I mean, that's a part you got to replace. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, but you know, whatever, like, you know, a guy knows a guy who knows some other guy who can make a call and, um, you know, whatever, a day later, a spring shows up and you don't know where or why or how it came. Uh, but everyone there is like helping you. Right. Uh, and it's all this big, you know, problem to solve. Right. And in the meanwhile, you're getting fed and, you know, being invited places and, um, meeting people. Right. So, That's so cool. That's just like through the, through, through the lens of the Land Rover, you know, this old broken down truck, you know, I think we had a very particular kind of experience that maybe we wouldn't have, you know, in a, um, you know, a land cruiser, right? Yeah. Um, or even, even a modern Range Rover, right. Or something yeah. like that. Like it's, yeah, right. it's, you know, like you said, it's like, it's disarming to mm-hmm. have someone show up and barely make it to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, so how did, how did you get it? How did you get it back? Did you, so, it, so did you export it? here yeah 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 so after this big long trip from ethiopia botswana we still had i don't know seven eight months left to go in our time there so we drove it up to mozambique and um swaziland and namibia and all over and um at the end of the whole thing we were like we can't we can't leave this truck behind. Like we can't, you know, yeah, we can't, it's a family member that. at like, that point. You're right. Uh, right. Right. And, um, and we had gotten to know the people we bought it from, you know, we got to know them really well. And then we got in touch with the people who drove it from England to Africa. We got to know them really well. And, and like got to know the story of this truck. Right. And it had, you know, it's life and it's personality. And, um, we're like it, we can't just leave it here. Right. Um, so, yeah, we just started looking around and, you know, the exportation process is a pretty, um, like it's, it's a complicated one. Um, and it's hard to do like on your own. 
Um, and I spent, I spent months working on this. Um, when we kind of made the decision, we're like, okay. And you mentioned, you mentioned, um, Toto earlier. Th that's the name of the truck. The name is unironically named Toto, the Land Rover. Um, so, uh, we're like we gotta, we gotta bring Toto home. So we finally found this company, um, out of Switzerland, actually, uh, that does a lot of these, like, um, sort of shipping, uh, processes for folks who are doing like overlanding you know, overland travel around the world. So, um, again, the online car community, right. Really like hooked us up with, with these folks. And, um, you know, they, you know, did all the paperwork, they did all the everything. And we, so when we were leaving Africa, we were flying out of Cape town. So we brought the Land Rover to the port in Cape town. Um, and yeah, sat down with the, with the export agent there and filled out the paperwork and gave him the keys. And we drove out to the dock and they put her in a container. Um, awesome. Container went on a boat and it went to Singapore. So it went, it went East. Um, yeah. And, what? And then, yeah. And then it got, it got transferred onto another boat at the port of Singapore and ended up in Vancouver, British Columbia. And that's where we, that's where we picked it up. Um, so it went the long way. Oh yeah, uh, it did. Wow. Yeah. And we, it took about two months. It took about two months. And part of it was like, I think we maybe paid a little less money because we didn't need it like immediately. Right. Yeah. So like it was on the slow boat, you know, like, really, <laughs> like, you know. Um, but yeah, we picked it up in Vancouver, BC um, and drove it back. And now it lives in the snow in Montana, probably. That's awesome. wonders what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have a hard time getting it registered here and stuff or was that like, um, no. So Montana's pretty like, right. Uh, we don't, we don't have, we don't have, <laughs> we don't have inspections. We don't have right. like, emissions. Um, yeah. Anything. So, um, I had to have a sheriff's deputy come and inspect the VIN, um, right. just to make sure that it matched the paperwork. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, with the 25 year import rule, you know, it was well under that threshold. And, um, we didn't even have to pay any duty when we crossed the border. Oh, <laughs> so wow. we, we showed up at the border in Washington, um, you know, because we, we had to present our customs paperwork, right. And in, officially, officially like import the truck into the United States. And, uh, the customs agent, he's like, well, he's like, He's like, well, how much do you guys pay for this car? I was like, well, I don't know, $6,000 or whatever we paid. He's like, all right. He's like, well, can I see it? And we're like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean no, <laughs> right? So he just kind of looked out the window or whatever. He's like, he's like, whatever. He's like, you don't, <laughs> it's like, you don't, you don't owe anything on this. <laughs> so again, like having the, like the ugliest Land Rover in, you know, North right. America was, um, an, another benefit at, you know, <laughs> don't yeah. have to pay any customs duties. So. Yeah. He's yeah. thinking like this poor idiot, like just spent <laughs> twice as much shipping this thing as yeah. he did paying for it. Yeah. Right. He's just, right. he's just going to tack some fees onto the guys with the R 32 skylines. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he's just going to distribute that. It'll all balance out. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, he's, he has a cousin who works at the, uh, at the customs agents in in, a. Uh, in Ethiopia, <laughs> yeah, in his short yeah, right. sandals. Same guy. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah. got him on the cell phone, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just let him go. They're fine. Yeah, 
yeah oh my god that's yeah, no, insane it's like, yeah like i said you know, and, and it's just i don't know we're I, I see some parallels like with, with what i did with david earlier this year you know just like whatever you know um freaking send it <laughs> yeah right yeah right just whatever happens happens and you know sort of trust that humanity is generally good i guess um right which right. you know isn't always so the I, case but I will say, I, I do think like we've all been in this situation where we've had a meal on vacation or we've listened to a song on vacation and it's felt like cool and magical. And then you try mm. to replicate it at home and it doesn't feel that way. Mm. Was there any of that with the Land Rover? Like, does it, does it feel as um, cool here or does it feel differently here? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, this sort of like re- like re-entry right back into just like life in the United States, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I, th- I think for both Julie and myself was was difficult, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That like reverse culture shock thing, that like re-entry thing. Um, you know, we had lived like two you know two plus years or whatever, you know, having this like wild adventure, you know, on the other side of the planet and in a place that we loved, right? And um, you know, we're dying to go back. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I think, and then, you know, you layer the, you know, the coronavirus on top of all of it. And like, like we really struggled. Right. But, you know, the Land Rover was out there, <laughs> right. you know, and it was, it was like our like connection back to, you know, all of that. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I pretty much drive it every day. Uh, you know, I just, I don't commute a lot. Like I work from home. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't do it driving a lot, but, um, yeah, you know, I drive it year round. Like it's, it's like this connection and it like, it puts a smile on my face, like every time I get in it. Right. And, um, people love it. Uh, and I think it's in the same way, like we were talking about VW Beatles, you know, earlier, it's a cartoon car. Like it's a truck you draw when you're six years old, like it's two boxes, right. And on these big wheels and, um, you know, and it just, it has like this personality. Right. And, um and so yeah like i yeah it 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 sort of keeps that connection for us you know it's like every time i get in i'm like oh like there's still like a bunch of sand in the bottom of the like glove box (laughs) from namibia right like you know and it's it really yeah it's like a really you know solid foundation for you know not losing our minds over the last you know year and a half right um and yeah and it's great yeah and people love it like everywhere i go it's it's either like what in the world is that or like wow that's amazing like i can't believe you know like and then especially you know when i say like oh yeah we just brought it here from africa um yeah folks i talk to people constantly um strangers everywhere um kids you know love it they're always coming up to it and yeah that's and it's a great truck for montana like the heater doesn't work but um you know, well, then it's not a great truck for Montana. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, but <laughs> but yeah, and I, like I've I've taken it, uh, I've taken it down to Arizona and Utah and bounced around, you know, like in you know Canyonlands and um, down in the maze, uh, yeah. and, you know, like um, Idaho, and uh, so it's had some good adventures, like in North America too, and um, yeah, it's it's been amazing, so. That's great. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, 
What do you think, Dave? I think we, I think we done did a car show. I, I, I think we I'm have just like speechless. three or four it's, more car shows to do, but yeah, um, it, I, I think this was definitely a car show. Uh, we're so thankful to talk to you, Steve. This is such, oh, I, I'm just in awe. Like it's such, it's so great to hear your story. Yeah. yeah and I, I really appreciate being on and I, I, I love to share these stories. I think partly because, um, you know, we really encourage, I mean, everyone we talk to, and it's part of my mission, I think, just in my work and writing for Overlander and other outlets is like, you know, go see, go see things. Um, right. You know, if you can do it, if you have, if the, if, if it's open to you, um, you know, don't let, don't let fear and uncertainty, um, you know, hold you back, right? Like the world is an amazing place. And um, yeah, every time I can encourage people to do that, um, you know, I, I try to, and if you can do it through the, through a windshield, you know, um, it creates, right. a, you know, a really interesting experience for you. And, yeah, um, for sure. you know, it's, uh, yeah. So it's really, I'm, so I'm like, I'm really glad to talk to you guys. And I think, um, especially since, you know, you, the, the folks you've had on the show over the years, um, you know, it's really cool to kind of be in with that group of folks like Doug DeMuro and, <laughs> Victoria and like you know all these people it's cool um to sort of and David right um so yeah shout out to David Abuchowski for absolutely us up, so. yeah 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 I mean well the, the real answer is that we're the lucky idiots right who've just like gotten to meet people so <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, really cool yeah. yeah yeah well thank you so much oh if uh people want to find you on Twitter and join in in the weird car Twitter uh conversation yeah of course yes um, I'm I'm at MT M as in mom MT underscore drift as in like snow drift or yeah drifting a drifty drifts skyline mm. we do need to talk about that real quick because like you sure. you did mention that uh your land rover is a cartoon car right and like yeah Volkswagen right. beetles are cartoon cars right uh you have richard scary artwork on your banner and that was some of the most <laughs> yeah. impactful art to me oh, as yeah. a child like that like yeah. i would get lost in those drawings as a kid and i, I love them to this day right and like yeah, yeah. my wife's uh parents both had volkswagen beetles like she she comes from a two beetle household like this is fantastic like this is it's serendipitous and yeah so yeah uh, mt underscore drift on twitter for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And I, and, I've, you know the cars and trucks and things that go i mean that's uh it's on my shelf right now um and yeah it's uh, it. yeah it's an important book right yeah. yeah oh i love the richard scary stuff it's so great yeah and then overlander.com yeah right. so uh the notebook is the is the blog um you know do a lot of like uh uh, sort of, you know, gear and product oriented stuff, but there's also a lot of like travel, um, uh, 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 stories there from Africa and from Utah and from North America. So, um, they give me some opportunity to stretch my legs, uh, on those topics as well. And, but, you know, I also write about fridges and roof tents and, um, yeah. you know, all the, all the usual stuff. So, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Dave, if, if people like this, mess what which what should they do they should subscribe to our youtube channel yep, yeah they should do that they should leave us a review on itunes yeah they, if you see uh something that you'd like us to see 
you should text you should take a picture of it and text it to 720-515-1391 the apex adjacent crisis line but i mean it's basically people just sending me vanity plates now for vanity plate license games so it's been yeah. a long time since we've had an actual voicemail on that number it's all text <laughs> yeah yeah it, yeah if you see a maniac out in the wild with vanity license plates that make no sense go ahead and text it to that number and we'll talk about it for sure yes yeah um well thanks again steve this was great yeah thank you guys and thank you everybody else we love you goodbye